Merry Christmas to you all. And depending on where you listen, perhaps Sunday night on Christmas Eve, you're listening or on Christmas Day, either way, from all of us at DesiringGod.org, I want to wish you a very Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the podcast and, and making it a part of your day. We really appreciate it. And uh, this, of course, is the season to reckon with the fact that Almighty God became little boy. And not only that, Jesus grew up and he matured, which leads to this question from a listener named Tina. Hello, Pastor John, I need your help. Can you explain to me Hebrews chapter 5, verses 8 and 9? Particularly this Christmas season, I want to better understand the early years after the Incarnation, specifically how Jesus learned obedience and had to be made perfect as a child. These verses make it sound like Jesus wasn't fully God and fully human, but that he had to work his way to perfection and obedience. So what does human maturity look like in Jesus, the little boy? Okay, I did a whole Ask Pastor John on these two verses, Hebrews 5, 8, and 9, June 2016. So let me just give the conclusion of that uh, effort and then and then tackle I think what she's most curious about, namely Jesus as a boy. Um, Here's the verse. Although he was a son, this is Hebrews 5.8, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Now, this same book of Hebrews says Christ was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So learning obedience from what he suffered and being made perfect don't mean that he moved from being in a state of sin to being in a state of sinless perfection. That's what they don't mean because this author makes clear he never sinned. Well, what do they mean then? What does it imply that he learned obedience? What they mean is this. He learned obedience, not in the sense that he moved from disobedience to obedience, but that he moved from untested or untried obedience to fully tested, fully tried obedience. So he was being tested at every point and proving himself obedient at every point, like you'd be giving a person a a test and he gets an A on every one. It's not like, oh, he proved his obedience by getting all A's, so he must have had B's. No, you can get an A on every test if you're Jesus. And he was made perfect doesn't mean that he moved from sinful imperfection to sinless perfection, but that he moved from incomplete obedience to full, complete, total life of finished obedience that fitted him perfectly for his great sacrifice. So the question that Tina is asking, I think, is what we can know about this younger, less mature, less complete person, Jesus Christ, as a youth. So let's read it. Let's read the one story, the one story that we have in Luke 2, 40 to 52. We get one glimpse into this boy's life, and here it is. And the child grew and became strong and filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover, and when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, 
As they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey, and then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And and when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know I must be in my father's house or about my father's business? It's sort of uh, 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 my father's things, and you have to decide what what particular is meant there. My father's business, my father's house. And they they did not understand the saying that was that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, I see four things that you can say about Jesus as a boy from this. Number one, Jesus was sufficiently intelligent and articulate and informed in the scriptures so that he could interact with the temple teacher so as to amaze them. Number two, when asked why he stayed behind in the temple, he answered, this is my father's house or this is my father's business. In other words, this is my real calling, not carpentry. Joseph's house and Joseph's business is not mine. God is my ultimate father, not the carpenter Joseph. And I'm going to be back here in some years to show these teachers how I came to fulfill these scriptures. Number three, he was submissive to his parents in a way that did not compromise his calling and did not compromise their authority. And number four, he grew in wisdom and stature in a way that won favor with people and with God. And I would add a fifth, not from this passage, but from Hebrews 4.15, 1 Peter 2.22, 1 John 3.5, John 8.46, 2 Corinthians 5.21. In all his life, he never sinned. He was sinless all through his boyhood and young adulthood. But here is the most striking and probably the most important thing to realize. In the four accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the only glimpse into this young boyhood or any of his life up till he was 30 years old. The Gospels are not ordinary biographies. What a weird biography. He was born and he turned 30. They they focus almost entirely on the last three years of Jesus' life. And the question is, why? And I assume it's because if the gospel writers included lots of stories about his boyhood, they would be seriously distracting from what he came to be and do. They would stir up unhelpful curiosity about things that are not crucial. So it seems to me that the vast silence the vast 
silence about Jesus' first 30 years is like putting a huge megaphone to the last three years of his life saying, look at this, look at this, linger over this. And surely that is what we should do this Christmas. Glory in the arrival of Jesus as the God-man, and then do what Paul did in Philippians 2.8. This is amazing. I wonder, if, I wonder if everybody's listening who has ever thought about this when they read verse 8. Here is Paul's summary from manger to crucifixion of the life of Jesus in one verse. Here it goes. Being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death even death on a cross, period. Found in human form, manger. Next main event, cross. Amazing. And I think that's the way we should celebrate Christmas. Every carol, every candle, every present, every meal, every mistletoe, every manger scene catapulting us over 30 years to the cross. That's why he came That's why it is a merry, merry Christmas. Behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Good news, good news of great, great, great joy that will be for all the people. Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. And the way he saved was at the cross. Amen. What a great place to wrap up and end for Christmas. And again, Pastor John and I want to wish you all a very happy Christmas as you reflect on the glories of Jesus Christ from the cradle to the cross, from Bethlehem to Calvary. What a sobering thought. What a sobering connection. I am your host, Tony Ranke. We will see you on Wednesday.